The reading this evening is taken from the Acts of the Apostle, chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, and leading on to chapter 2, verses 1 to 21, and may be found on page 1092 or 3 of the Bible you have in your seat. Acts, chapter 1. Jesus taken up into heaven. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Moving on to chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, 
They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up from with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. David, thank you very much for bringing us God's word this evening. Well, good evening. It's great to see you all. I'm quite loud at the moment. Could I? Be... I know it's quite rare for me to want to be turned down, but wonderful. Thank you, Nick. That's great. Well, do keep your Bibles open in front of you. We're going to be digging into that passage in just a moment. If you're new here, uh, my name is Jis. I'm the associate vicar here, alongside Mike, who is the vicar in the background, being part of the congregation for now and a number of others on the staff team. And it's great to welcome you alongside Fran and others uh, in our midst, and we hope to get to know you, get to share life with you and to journey with you. And we're beginning tonight at this relaunch of the evening service, a new series looking at the Holy Spirit. This is Pentecost, where we celebrate the Spirit's coming on that first Pentecost day. But it's not just for one day, of course. The Spirit... The Holy Spirit, the Holy Presence of God, is for our entire life and for every single one of us who follows Jesus. And so we're going to be spending weeks and actually a couple of months digging into deeper this person, the Holy Spirit. Who is he? What does he do? What does that mean for us in the here and now? And we're starting here with this passage in Acts. Before I dig in, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it has power to transform us. Thank you, your word says that your word will not return back to you empty, but will fulfill the purposes for which you sent it for. Thank you, we've seen that in our own lives. Thank you that it did it, that first Pentecost. And we pray it might do so afresh this evening. By your spirit, we might hear from you, that you might reveal yourself to us in greater measure, to a deeper and fuller extent, we pray. Amen. Well, I want to start with a few uh, questions about your memory. Who here found it hard to recall a few names during the prayers? Some names from just, just one honest person. I was thinking back, 
And it was only 15 or 16 years ago for me, the people that were involved in me being saved. And as we're realizing, oh, no, I've got an atrocious memory for really important people. Here's some uh, interesting facts about the human memory to kick us off. Our memories begin in the womb about 20 weeks after conception. That's when we probably have our first memory. Our memory is divided into short-term and long-term memory, and our short-term memory has the capacity to hold seven things for 20 seconds. Don't try it, don't try it, try it at home. But our long-term memory can hold the equivalent of 2.5 million gigabytes forever. And that's the equivalent of 2,500 modern PCs. Left-handed people have better memories than right-handed people. Hands up if you're a lefty. Put your left hand up. (laughs) And most memories we retain come from the ages between 15 and 25. So the memories that you form then are the ones that you're going to retain the most. Our memories are amazing. They fail us often. They fail me tonight. But they are amazing. And I wanted to start with that. Because as we look at the person and work of the Holy Spirit, theologians have often called him the forgotten person of the Trinity. That he quite easily has slipped from our collective memory, that actually we've neglected him, we've gone on to higher and more worthy things and forgotten the promise of who he is and what he does. He's been called the forgotten person of the Godhead of the Trinity that we can celebrate his work on Pentecost here today, but then in the church calendar, he's not spoken about until Pentecost the next year, actually. And looking back at the history of the church, it's often been the case that he's been replaced by other things. That for a long time, God was Father, Son, and Holy Church. The church took the place of the Holy Spirit. And then perhaps about 500 years ago, after the Reformation, God sometimes was Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. And the Word is important, but the Word is not God. And yet we know, we know that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That he is the one who comes to us by his Spirit. So it hasn't really been helped by a very strange translation. Who here is used to the Holy Spirit being called the Holy Ghost? So there's a bit of a divide there. For most modern people, calling the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost conjures up all kinds of strange images of something ghoulish or a floating white sheet. It's actually a very strange translation from the original Greek that we lived with for centuries and no doubt didn't help with our understanding of what the Holy Spirit does. It hit home personally for me a few weeks ago when I was hearing a great preacher preaching on Pentecost. And they were going all guns blazing. They were Pentecost on fire. They, They had it all going for them. And yet, for some reason, they kept on calling the Holy Spirit it. When it filled the apostles, when it led them to speak the gospel, 
when it came that first Pentecost, I found myself just inwardly grieving. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force like in Star Wars, the force that is a wrestling match between good and bad. May the force be with you. That's not who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is a person. Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth, when he comes, he will lead you into all truth. He is a person. He's a person of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he's not to be demeaned or pushed aside as an impersonal and, if we're honest, slightly strange person or force. He's to be given honor and dignity as to who he is. And we're going to be trying to do that over the next few weeks, digging into what he wants to do here and now in our lives, in the life of the church. Because from our reading, it's very clear that the Holy Spirit wasn't unimportant to Jesus. He said to the apostles, wait in Jerusalem until he comes. And he wasn't unimportant to the life of the early church. It was because of him coming that the witness to Jesus spread from, and you know where it spread from, from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth because of him. The Acts of the Apostles could often be renamed the Acts of the Holy Spirit. They didn't think he was unimportant. And neither do we. Neither do we. Neither should we. And what I want to do tonight, very briefly, is to give you three snapshots of who he is and what he does. And these, I hope, hope will be like three teaser trailers, a taste of the future as we dig into his person and work. And I hope that they also might be like three depth charges that kind of shake us up and wake us up to the potentials of what he can do in our lives. And they're all from this reading that we had wonderfully read to us by David. So do keep that open in front of you and don't close it like I just did. And the first one I wanted to draw out very briefly is that the Holy Spirit continues Jesus' work today. You see, the passage begins with the account of Jesus' instructions to his disciples after his resurrection by the author Luke. And we find out that this is actually Luke's second book, the book of Acts. That he's already written a book all about what Jesus did. And he says this to some person called Theophilus. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. The emphasis there is on the word began, that Luke's previous book was what Jesus began to do. And this book here is what he's continuing to do. And the way he does it, he does it through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit continues Jesus' work. And of course, this is why it was predicted by Jesus that he would send another person, another counselor, he said, that would be like me, who would teach, who would convict of sin, who would do wonderful works through the disciples. He would do the same things that Jesus was doing in their midst there and then. He would continue his work. This is why in the book of Acts we find that he's called the Spirit of Jesus. When Paul isn't allowed into Macedonia, And he's confused as to why. He says, the spirit of Jesus did not allow me. 
that this was Jesus still doing the same thing, leading and guiding his followers. And this answers a question that some of us might have had. And it's this. Why did Jesus ascend to the right hand of the Father in our witness and our evangelism? It would be much easier if he had remained on earth. We could just point to him and say, there he is. Listen to him. Follow him. Why did he ascend? I wonder if anyone's ever asked that question. Have any of you thought to ask it? And the reason is this. He ascended, he said, so he could send his Holy Spirit upon his followers. He could ask the Father who would send the Spirit. And that the Spirit through each and every one of us would continue his work. And that's an upscale of initially 120, then 3,000, all the way up to approximately 3 billion in the present age. Three billion vessels for Jesus to do his work through. And he does it through his Holy Spirit. He continues the same thing. The great theologian Karl Barth said this, Fundamentally and generally, there is no more to say of the Holy Spirit than he is the power of Jesus Christ. And if this is true, then it's got great implications for our lives today. Because most of us, want to see Jesus doing the same things he did in the gospel. Hands up if you want to see the same things today. I hope that's most of you. It's a bit of a loaded question. (laughs) You want to see him healing the sick like he did in the gospels. You want to see him transforming the broken, resurrecting the dead. Well, if you want to see him doing the same things, it's really simple. He does it through his Holy Spirit. And that actually knowing his presence... And his power more is when we'll see the same things occurring. There's a direct, logical, causal link between the two. Seeking the fullness and the power and the presence of the Spirit and seeing Jesus doing the same things. An Eastern Orthodox bishop put it like this. Without the Holy Spirit, God is far away. Christ stays in the past. The gospel is a dead letter The church is simply an organization. Authority, a matter of domination. Mission, a matter of propaganda. Christian living, a slave mentality. But with the Holy Spirit, the cosmos is resurrected. The risen Christ is there. The gospel is the power of life. The church shows forth the life of the Trinity. Authority is liberating service. Mission is Pentecost. Human action is made God's. That's the difference he makes. I think this uh, comes sharpest into memory for me from a time before I was a Christian, actually. I I was studying at university, a complete atheist, and actually had all the arguments against Christianity down to a T. And I thought I was pretty sorted, that I was pretty stable in my atheism. And I started to get to know Christians for the first time, and real Christians. And to begin with, I felt sorry for them slightly. Poor you, you've just been slightly deluded. We can sort that out. It's okay. But as I got to know them, I found myself, frustratingly at the time, being drawn to them, and drawn to spend time with them, and drawn to listen to what they said, and drawn to want to live the life that they lived. And looking back now, I know exactly what that was. 
That was the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, the same Jesus that drew the crowds to him from wherever he went, because of his winsomeness, because of his wonderful ways, because of his beauty, because of his glory, the same Jesus was at work in them. And he was at work by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I found myself utterly compelled, utterly compelled. And if you're here and you've never met that Jesus, I can commend him to you. He is utterly captivating. You'll never meet anyone like him. He'll change your life. He'll turn it upside down, but he'll turn it right side up. And this is what the Holy Spirit will do in your life as he continues to do it here today. Well, that's the first thing. The Holy Spirit continues Jesus' work today. The second one is that the Holy Spirit can be known in increasing measure. Going back to our reading, verses 4 and 5, some well-known words. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that idea of baptism was the same idea of water baptism that they all would have seen from a distance or experienced. It was no sprinkling back then. It was a complete immersion into a river. And that's what Jesus promises, a complete immersion into the presence and power of this person, the Holy Spirit. They probably didn't quite understand what he meant, but they started to pray for it in the upper room. They started to seek it. And we know on Pentecost, on that day, what a day, he came and they experienced it. They were filled tip to toe, completely immersed and set on fire to change the world. But one mistake that we could quite easily make is to say that they had never experienced the Holy Spirit before. Yes, they'd never experienced him that measure and power, but the Holy Spirit had already been working in their lives. Go back to verse 2 in our chapter. You might have missed this, but Jesus' resurrection instructions, it says that he, until he was taken to heaven, giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. That when Jesus gave his teaching after the resurrection, they fell on the disciples' ears externally, but were written on their hearts by the Holy Spirit, as was promised, actually, in the Old Testament. Flip back a few pages, don't do this, but in John chapter 20, the second of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances to all his gathered disciples, he enters the room and says, Peace be with you. As my Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And most people say that that's future tense, but actually the translation is correct. It's present. He said, right now, receive the Holy Spirit. The NIV hasn't got it wrong. And there and then, the holy breath of God was already at work in their life. And so Pentecost wasn't their first experience of the Holy Spirit, but what it was was an experience that overwhelmed them, an experience of fullness that they were invited into. The image that's often used, I heard used brilliantly this week, was of a um, boiler that often operates on the pilot light. 
and it's just glowing there. And that's what the disciples had before Pentecost. But when the colder winter hits, suddenly it roars into full flame and consumes everything. And that's what happened, that they experienced a deeper level of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say to you here tonight, you know this, that actually the same invitation is given to each and every one of us to experience deeper levels of his presence and power in our lives. The Bible says every single person here who's chosen to follow Jesus has the Holy Spirit at work in your life right now. Paul says that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, he's called the seal of our salvation, the mark that God says, you are mine. No one is allowed to say to you, and don't let anyone ever say to you, that you do not have the Holy Spirit in your life if you follow Jesus. It's not true. It's not true. It's a complete lie. But what's on offer, the Bible commends to us, it's a greater and deeper and fuller experience of who he is, what it is to do life with him, and his companionship and his power at work through us. This because fundamentally nothing's changed. The need for the world hasn't changed to hear about Jesus. We haven't changed. We can't fulfill it in our own ways. But God hasn't changed. He's going to do it through the same means that he did it then. He does it now. And that's through the power of his spirit. Fuller and deeper and brighter and whatever adjective you want to use more and more in our lives. Now, for many of us, it may not be a sudden event like at Pentecost where we get to experience him more. It may not be a sudden crashing moment. Sometimes it can be a more gentle approach. This is really important for us to hear. There are two ways of getting to the deep end of a swimming pool, aren't there? You can either jump in at the deep end or you can wade in from the shallows. Who's a jumper, by the way? A few of you. I'm more of a wader, actually. You don't want to see what happens if I try and jump in the deep end. And the same is true, I want to suggest, by analogy, that with our deepening experience of the person of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes there'll be times when you're literally thrown in the deep end. And I think God did this with the disciples at Pentecost to witness to how he was going to do it for others, that this is his sending of the Spirit upon the church. This really was the deep end push in. But for many of us, it may be that wading in, deeper and deeper journey to experience fullness. Neither is wrong. Both are right. Both are what we long for, actually, as a people, to experience that work of Jesus by the power of his Spirit. Well, that's the second thing. The Holy Spirit can be known in increasing measure. And lastly... The Holy Spirit births new things. Hands up if you had some birthday cake earlier. Did you realize it was birthday cake? Good, good. As we've said a number of times this Sunday, Pentecost is the birthday of the church. Before Pentecost, there was 120 people. After Pentecost, over 3,000 who claimed to follow Jesus. It really was the birth of the church. And it came through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who came on the disciples like a 
a flame that was above their heads and like the sound of a rushing wind assigned to them. The Holy Spirit had came and empowered Peter's preaching, the witness of the gospel that he empowered through the apostle Peter. The Holy Spirit, who instantly gave a new sign that had never been seen before in the Bible, the gift of tongues, never been seen before, something brand new signifying that he was doing a new thing. He was bringing about the birth of something brand new, the birth of the Christian church. And actually, this is a fundamental ministry of the Holy Spirit. Whenever God wants to do something new, he does it through the Holy Spirit. It's one of his remits, one of his purposes, one of the ways that in the Godhead, the functions of God are split up. This is what the Spirit does. He does new things. For example, in Genesis 1, we know that when creation was being formed, where was the Spirit? He was there, wasn't he, brooding over the waters of the deep. He was there at the new thing there. We know that actually, at the beginning of the New Testament, he was there, beginning a new work. Before Jesus even arrived, he filled some random strangers like Zechariah and Elizabeth with his presence and power, and they prophesied about the coming Messiah. This was a new thing that was going to happen. And then the angel Gabriel, when he comes, what does he say? He says, do not be afraid, because that which is in you is conceived by the Holy Spirit. That actually the Holy Spirit was there at the work of conception of the Messiah. We know at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, which was a brand new type of ministry, no, nothing so powerful had ever been seen before, that even demons manifested and were dealt with. Never seen before. Brand new power and level of ministry. And where was the Spirit? Well, he was there at Jesus' baptism, descending on him. At the beginning of his ministry, he stands up and says, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. This new thing that's going to happen, it's through the power of the Spirit. And then Jesus did what he did. At the resurrection, the breaking forth of the new age, where was the Holy Spirit? Well, he was there raising Jesus from the dead. Paul says in Romans 1 that Jesus Christ was raised by the Spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit. He was there creating a new age and a new reality for each and every one of us to walk into. This is what he does. He brings about the new things of God. And this is what he continues to do. Ultimately, for each and every one of us, Jesus says in John chapter 3 that if you have put your trust in Jesus, you've become a new creation and that you were born again of the water and the Spirit. The Holy Spirit brought about a new birth in your heart, that moment you first believed, whenever it was, doing that work, creating you to be a new creation, changing you forever. And I want to say that this is what he longs to do in our lives together. He longs to do new things. It's what he does. If we're to seek him in fullness, in presence, and power, we're to expect that new things are going to happen. We're expecting it here in our 630 service. We're longing for it here, that he would be given a full scope to do the new things that are especially part of his remit as what God wants to do here in South Sea. New wine for 
new wineskins, new creations that are God's new work to see the lost saved, save the broken healed. This is what he does. And I want to end with probably my favorite story of uh, the Holy Spirit doing new things that I, I know of, actually, because of the impact. Um, many here probably have uh, either heard of or uh, known people that have been on the Alpha course. Hands up if that's you. It should be just about everyone. And um, actually, I went on one when I was still exploring the Christian faith, and I, I'd recommend it to anyone that's doing that. And there are an estimated 27 million other people that have done it. That's a huge number that have heard about Jesus through this one course, actually. I would say it's probably the greatest gift of God to the church in terms of mission and evangelism for the last century. You can disagree with me, but I think it is. What many of you probably don't realize is quite how it came about. You'll know that it came about through the work of someone who at the time was a barrister called Nicky Gumbel. Actually, I remember when I was uh, still exploring the Christian faith, seeing him on VHS, which still existed back then, and the strange guy standing up with a very posh accent, telling me about Jesus. I wasn't convinced, but I, do, I was intrigued by him. But his story that was that Alpha came as a result of a new thing that the Holy Spirit did in his life, actually. Back in the late 80s, he was invited as a barrister to come along to hear someone called John Wimber speak, this rather large um, American chap, sorry, I didn't mean it like that, um, heavy-boned American chap, who actually was speaking prolifically about the work of the Holy Spirit. And he thought, well, I'd better go and hear what all this buzz is about. I'm not sure about what all this is about, but I'm not, I might as well go and hear and so he went with his wife, Pippa, to hear John Wimber preaching about the work of the Holy Spirit and especially his power to heal. And at the end of his address, he stood up and says, I believe that God wants to heal a number of people here. And he had a, a word of knowledge about people with athlete's foot that God wanted to heal. And he invited them to stand up. And so sheepishly, a few people stood up or on one leg at least, stood up. And they looked around the room and started to pray for these guys. But Nicky Gumbel, who had athlete's foot, would not stand up. He was really cynical about it until his wife Pippa elbowed him in the ribs and said, that's you, stand up. And so he stood up. And a member, a member of, Nicky, uh, of John Wimber's ministry team came over to Nicky Gumbel and said, can I pray for you for your athlete's foot? And uh, Nicky Gumbel replied, no, thank you. I'm perfectly happy having athlete's foot. I find it quite satisfying being able to scratch it when it itches. <laughs> and then the prayer team member didn't give up and says, well, is there anything else that you would like us to pray for? And Nicky Gumbel said this, well, what I would really like you to pray for is the power of the Spirit in my life. And so the guy started praying. And let me just read from Nicky Gumbel's account what happened next. After he had been praying for about 30 seconds, all I can say is I felt this incredible power. It was like 10,000 volts going through my body. In fact, it was so powerful that after a bit, I couldn't take it anymore. 
I think he'd only just got onto the ministry team because he had only one prayer, and it was more power, Lord. And every time he prayed this prayer, the power increased. So after a bit, I couldn't take it any longer, and I started to pray against him. I started saying, no more power, Lord, no more power. But he kept on praying, more power, more power. Eventually, John Wimber said, take that one out. And so they carried me out through the French windows. And as I was being carried out, John Wimber said over me, God is given to that man power to tell people about Jesus. And his testimony is that it was that moment that changed everything. The Holy Spirit birthing something new. He suddenly found himself called out of the law courts into ministry. He found himself dreaming and imagining about the possibilities of reaching people. He took this strange discipleship course that his church was running called Alpha and turned it into an evangelism course. He started seeing hundreds and thousands, then millions turning up to it and being saved. And all because of the Holy Spirit doing a new work that day. That's what he does. He does new things. He can create new realities, new destinies, new purposes. This is what he will do in our lives if we ask him to. That Jesus might be glorified, that he might continue his works here on earth, that the Father who sent both Jesus and the Spirit might be all of our fathers. Amen. 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 Can I invite you to stand? Invite the band to come up. We're going to spend some time in worship and we're going to pray in response to a few of these things. Sam and Charlie, thanks for leading us in worship so far this evening. And can I encourage you, so we just spend this time in response. This is the last thing that we're going to be doing together. So don't worry about, oh, there's something else to come. Can I encourage you just to be very honest with the Lord, to be honest with him about where you are with him, to be honest about the things that you'd love for him to do. And we're going to pray in just a moment.